Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, I'm delighted to be joined today by Marjan Riggi, who is a Senior Managing Director with KBRA. Marjan, thanks again for joining us for the purposes of our leaders report. I should say we're recording this at the end of October. Um, before we get into the meat of the questions, do you want to tell us a little bit about KBRA and their place in analyzing the aviation market? Yeah, so you know we're uh, relative to Moody's and S&P and Fitch, we're a newer rating agency. We've been there now more than almost year 12, year 13. Uh, but we broke into the aviation business in 2013 by rating um, Airlies Corporation. That was our first rating. Soon after, we rated the first uh, ABS for Avalon, which was called Emerald. And it was the first ABS aviation did that was done post-GFC, um, post-financial crisis. Since then, it's been history. You know, now we are um, number one in ABS ratings for sure. Uh, we rate a number of leasing companies, all the top ones except for Aircap. And um, we also have made a big name for ourselves in the private market by doing a lot of the more esoteric type transactions in the secured aircraft space where you know, they may not have full recourse to an airline, but they're usually done by lessors or who I call financial lessors who lease aircraft to airlines and we rate those financings. Um, we also do a lot of uh, private WTCs, including uh, multi-loan structures. And can I ask you, as you've been assessing the market over the course of this year, I guess that there's been a theme of uncertainty and change. So we are seeing challenges, you know, starting off with maybe the Russian invasion and how that has fed into interest rates, inflation, oil price, currency risk. How challenging has it been over the course of this year to try and assess uh, your, your customers? And, and <laughs> let me just maybe pause it there. Just how, how difficult is it? in an environment where we've probably never seen so much flux or haven't for a very long time. Yeah, no, I mean, that's been the challenge, uh, more the flux than the direction, because I think the expectation always was that interest rates were going to uh, go up because they couldn't go down any further. But the Russian invasion of Ukraine really put, in a, put a twist into the whole environment. And a lot of that uh, fed to you know, it's put pressure on oil prices that feeds very in a very big way into inflation and therefore interest rates because all the, um, you know, the Fed and the ECB and all the central banks around the world, they need to control inflation because in some countries, inflation is really, really high. So they're they've come in, they're trying to um, raise rates in order to stop uh, you know, that the, the wage pressure, the price pressure, which I think all of us are experiencing. Um, so yeah, it has really made it very difficult for looking around the world and seeing what sector, what areas are getting um, affected more. So I would say starting with the US, which makes up a very big portion of the aviation market, at least on the airline side. I would say that U.S. airlines are doing well. They just, most of them did their um, earnings, as you know, this week. Everyone has come out pretty strong. 
Um, but it's not the same case for non-U.S. airlines because a lot of their costs are denominated in U.S. dollars where their earnings are not. So those are the names that we're watching right now. And um, in terms of them also being a big uh, uh, clients of leasing companies, it kind of feeds into there too because post-crisis uh, we had put, uh, well, during the COVID crisis, we had put uh, negative outlooks on all leasing companies. But honestly, the way they performed during the crisis by providing liquidity to airlines, by um, you know, providing deferral options to them, and them, they themselves being able to go to m capital markets with really, really big issuances but at very, very low rates, really showed their access to capital markets and how their strong liquidity really paid off during that period. So once COVID started dissipating uh, in a big way, we stabilized all those outlooks, even though they're slightly higher levered than they used to be before COVID, but we're very bullish on leasing companies. So almost all the ratings aren't stable, apart from a couple of like stragglers or smaller names with some other issues. Um, then, of course, Russia hit. <laughs> so everything was going well until the Russia situation started. That uh, created issues for potential impairments for leasing companies if they had a lot of exposure to Russia, clearly. And then there was, as I'm sure you knew, there was a lot of questions about insurance, whether they could get their money back. Uh, but I think they all did the right thing by uh, taking impairments for all their exposure right away. So many of them took impairments. Those have already gone through their books and they didn't really make a huge difference. Um, and now many of them, of course, are trying to file for insurance and try to get their money back, which is in a way, since we, nev since we didn't really think it was a big problem for them, we didn't downgrade them because of that, let's say. And now if they do recover something, it's so much the better. But I think that the, expecta the expectation of getting any money from insurance companies could take a while because there's going to be a lot of um, resistance. And at least you're in a situation having taken that impairment during to contingent upside, hopefully, <coughs> The as you contingent say, upside yeah. is there. So are we counting on it? No. And, and can I ask on the Russian piece, did it in any way impact how you're assessing geopolitical risk for lessors? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think jurisdictional issues really came in forefront. Um, before it would be, like even Russia was a good example because they had very good um, track record in being able to go repossess your aircraft at a very quite timely manner. There've been a few uh, bankruptcies there and lessors had no issues going getting their aircraft back. And then suddenly there's a turnaround, 180 degree turnaround, not because of legal issues, but because of political issues and clearly the war. Um, so it wasn't that um, from a legal jurisdictional perspective something was different or they passed a new law that it makes it more difficult for you to repossess your aircraft. It was more at a uh, political level, at the country level, as you know, at the sovereign, because they were in war and they just, they essentially had no respect for laws and they said, we're not giving your aircraft back. To be fair though, um, in some cases they have returned aircraft as you know. 
some have come back and even as we speak you know there are some that are coming back because I think that the airlines themselves are commercial they're trying to you know they know they're going to need these people down the road so they're trying to do what they can to return aircraft that especially might and it's been sitting on the ground basically um, and it's not theirs it's somebody else's aircraft um, but they can't always they have to go to their authorities to get special permission to let the, the aircraft fly out of Russia uh, but it's definitely made it more clear um, that you need to be don't have concentration you can't ev you can't really predict all geopolitical issues really right yeah, there's some countries that are more prone to it, which we knew already. Uh, did we expect Russia? Probably not, even though you always thought something could happen because it's Russia. But I think that um, all the names that had concentration, I'm talking about the leasing companies, to Russia, they had to impair more. And there's some smaller lessors that we don't really rate. Some of them have very big exposures to Russia, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, and that's like a lesson, I think, yeah. for everyone. No, I think so. And that concentration point clear, clearly um, becomes more important than your diversification and the geopolitical risk that you're carrying. Um, we touched briefly at the start on, on interest rates. You, your, your thoughts over the impact when you're assessing lessors in this interest rate environment that is still moving, but, but only going one way and which is up. Um, your thoughts over what that means for lessors and how it is impacting on your assessment of them? It's an interesting question in that it impacts them only to the extent they can pass it along on to their leases. And that's been an issue. Uh, lease rate factors are very slowly going up and you know, especially really big lessors with quite a bit of liquidity they want to do deals that make sense from a commercial perspective, and now there is a mismatch between the lease rates and the interest risk, the current interest rates. And you don't, you can't always, you know, the escalation prices can, uh, escalation factors don't always come in at the right time and at the right um, rate, let's say. So I think that um, le big lessors have been very, le you know, savvy because they can be, they don't have to lease at you know unprofitable rates and we're, we're already seeing the effect because eventually they'll catch up I mean it can't be that lease rate factors are going to stay really low while you know while interest rates keep going up at a very you know uh, fast clip I think that's part of the issue that they went up too fast because that's where you have these escalation requirements in the lease documents so that it takes care of this kind of a problem. But I think when it's this fast, it, it, it creates uh, an issue. What's really interesting is the fact that th how airlines still feel like they have the leverage to, to ask for such low lease rates, even though we have supply constraints now on the, air, on the aircraft. Um, and can I ask why? that you think that is? Is it, is it the overhang of capital? Is it just that there I was so much I think that's what I was going to say, that there is a lot of money that, well, there has been a lot of money chasing uh, deals for leases, buying aircraft and leasing it to airlines. But that's also slowing down. And I think that it's just going to take time for things to catch up. 
Is that going to um, affect the leasing company's cost of financing? Of course. And you haven't, been, you haven't seen them going to market this year much because of that. And thank God they don't need it. But eventually, they have some maturities coming up, just globally. Not, I'm not talking about one single name. Yeah. So that uh, next year, you know, there's, you know, they have to go to market at some stage. Uh, but I think one of the other things that's helped them in that because they haven't had to do too much financing, also because aircrafts are not being delivered, even to them. So um, the need for financing is still not as, um, as much as it will be later, like in 23, 24. But banks have been very constructive because they can do smaller deals. But once the need for financing becomes um, of scale, I think that they need to go to, to capital markets uh, because banks are not going to be able to do the really huge uh, capital market deals, especially the ones that the lessors do, big senior unsecured deals. Um, so I think that we're, we're like in a strange, uh, I would call it holding pattern, but it's, uh, we're in a flux right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a sense of stasis. It's a it sense right? of yeah. stasis, and if we're in a flux right now, and uh, interesting that also airlines who, who um, you know, receive aircraft from OEMs, also they're not receiving it. So they also haven't gone to market trying to do financing. But they've all said that next year, the ones who need it, they're going to go to market. Yeah, it, it is that slightly dysfunctional piece, as you say, where we've <coughs> had, you know, the large lessors fill their boots in 21 mm -hmm. pretty, cl pretty cleverly, very cheaply, right? right. Um, and therefore this year they can kind of take a pass, but that'll only last so long. Yes, yeah. But they're not selling down portfolios either because they're not getting aircraft no. in. So you kind of have this clog, right? And, yes. and something will have to give. And y y your thoughts on when they return to the capital markets on the IG rated lessor side, um, you know, we have seen a sophistication uh, around aircraft leasing and how it's perceived and that had fed into the ability to raise and the rates at which they raised. Do you see when they do come back to the market, is there proof of concept again, or will they just need to pay the premium on whatever way the rates have moved? Well, it's hard to tell, but given their really excellent access to capital markets, uh, I think that part of it hasn't changed in that, um, especially the way a lot of them performed during the crisis, they really made a in a way, their business model proved itself, let's say. Um, but they're not going to get away from the fact that the investors are going to require premium, not because they're lesser, but just in general. Yeah. You know, they're not, money is going to be tight at very low rates. You're not going to see um, very large IG lessors going to market at the same rates as they did last year. That's yeah. not going to happen. But I think relatively, Within the right, within the X environment of X interest rate, they're still going to have good access to the market. So, so I, I guess the way of parsing that a little bit is: is aircraft as an asset class should hold its own? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I wouldn't call it aircraft as an asset class. I would say lessors yeah. as a corporate class. Yeah. <laughs> because they've been, um, they've really set up their balance sheet now in a way where, because they have access to the unsecured market, it's really helped them. I mean, that's what, in a way, created the liquidity that they had during the crisis because they have control over their money. 
they didn't do ABS or secure deals all the time so that all their assets were encumbered. Because some of their liquidity sits in unencumbered assets, not just in cash. Um, but the, I think, uh, to answer your question on aircraft class, yes, I think new aircraft is still a very good um, asset in that you know it, the leases are fixed and it's long dated and there, there's a lot of money out there chasing that kind of investment because it's long dated and it's fixed. Are all people wanting to do in that, uh, invest in that asset? No. Um, but I think part of it is also uh, driven by the fundamentals of demand that no matter how you look at it, it's going to go up. I know there is a lot of discussion about you know, travel is going to slow down. It could slow down, but just think of uh, Asia sitting out of the market. Once they come back, we're already doing pretty well given um, the demand has come back so strongly after COVID, as soon as borders are open, that is. And we can't forget how big Asia is. Once they come in, it's going to also increase demand. And I also think that it's just the fundamentals. You know, majority of people in the world haven't been even on a plane yet. So you can't ignore that that slowly comes back. Um, and whether OEMs can you know, keep up with the demand. Uh, they have the supply constraints, but that may not last forever. Um, I think the only thing I sometimes worry about, and that's really for like decades in, in the future, is if the non-Airbus, non-Boeing OEMs really start getting into the market, because that's going to really shift the dynamics of the supply. We'll talk about that in our 2040 report, Marjan. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> But uh, in, in, in thinking... If we're alive, <laughs> Yeah, this is it, right? Um, to, to, to pick up on a market you referenced there on ABS, right? So a very important channel in the secondary trading space. For trading, um, yeah. And has mm -hmm. came, back, came back very strongly in 21, almost surprisingly yeah. so to the extent that it <coughs> did. But a sentiment-driven market, and we had Russia stall the market yes. at the end of Q1 uh, of this year. And now we've got this interest rate environment. Where do you see that market going in the near term? You know, it's a very difficult question to ask, and you hear it a lot in the last in all the conferences we've had in the last few months. I I don't want to really come up with an answer. I would say, not until next year for sure, but it's a market that's um, needed in a way. It's a relevant market, especially once aircraft trading starts. One of the things I look at, I look at the big leasing companies first because they have more volume to see whether they're going to trade out of aircraft. Because that usually means ABS type of a transaction because they don't, you know, the big leasing companies don't do ABS for their own financing, but it's for sale of portfolios. And they're the ones who create the volume. Then, then you have much smaller leasing companies who have no other choice but to do ABS. So the need for ABS is, very, is there very strongly. The question is whether investors are still a little bit um, scared to get into that market. But I think it will change because, you know, the, the, the situation with interest is we've had higher interest rates ma many times uh, in the past, not even, this is really not very high. Interest rates are not that high. I think the issue is the volatility around it. 
But I also think, like you said, they're not going down. <laughs> so I feel like people need to get with the program. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the stabilization It's piece, the stabilization it? that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, inflation, oil price volatility, all of these are like really big inputs into the geo-macro geo uh, factors globally. And these are the things that really, I think, um, scare people. We've never seen, at least not that I know of, inflation rising the way it has. It affects every aspect of your life, business, everything. And of course, there's a lot of it is driven by oil prices too. So those two things, both of them are in flux and they're a big input into the aviation market, no matter how you look at it, whether it's airlines or leasing companies, interest rates, all of that is really important. So I think that while things are in flux, the ABS market will have a hard time to come back. But as it stabilizes, of course it will come back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what steps into the breach in the interim, right? So you, know, you mentioned kind of banks being uh, kind of a, you know, available with capital, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, also welcome your thoughts on maybe the non-traditional lending platforms. Mm -hmm. We've seen probably with a private equity tinge yes. where we've seen the, these non-traditional lenders enter the fray. W what are your thoughts on, on those new players? So, yeah, th those guys are active because uh, when we talked about lots of capital, there's big capital there too. And, you know, they're able to come in, provide financing solutions for people who really need them because it's one thing that you can wait. It's another, what if you really need to do financing of you know, certain aviation assets? So I think that they come in uh, in the background by providing more, I would say, creative solutions than a bank probably would. So in that respect, they come in and fill those holes for airlines, you know, leasing companies don't think they really need it, but for airlines and other, uh, maybe OEMs, um, have they been huge amounts? No, because, um, you know, the one thing that they can do is that a lot of those financings by uh, these alternative uh, investors and private equity firms that it's internal because they can structure a deal, execute it, and put it in with their own uh, investors, which tend to be big insurance companies, or their insurance clients. They don't really go to the capital markets as we, t as we think of it. And, and shifting gears slightly and maybe looking at the macro leasing picture, we've mm -hmm. seen the 50% threshold being right. breached. We've seen that driven by, unsurprisingly, distress in airline balance sheets. We've seen probably a deepening and strengthening of relationships between lessors and airlines over the course right. of the crisis. Do you think that 50% threshold I is a step change that we've seen, and is your expectation that that lease percentage will continue to grow in the near term? I think absolutely uh, it will increase, especially given what I've seen, uh, a lot of the new orders, you know, the rate of new orders is actually way above 50% by lessors. That's where the orders are coming from. And it makes sense because, you know, airlines, in some, in some ways, especially when they had lots of money, it made sense that they would own their own aircraft. But when you think about it, they're not in the business of owning and financing aircraft. They're in the business of hauling passengers. <laughs> and many of them, I think, have seen through the crisis how easy it is. To, it's much better to do leases. 
Um, but I think that all airlines, especially the large airlines, they always think of their own cost of financing. Should I buy? Should I lease? Should I do banks? Should I do capital markets? I mean, they have big finance groups that look at that. So it's not as simple as I'm trying to make it. But you see that you really see what's going on with the leasing companies. They have a much better ability to try to, you know, put the aircraft. The, the aircraft comes in. They have a lot more options to put it in where it's really needed. Where an airline puts in an order, comes in four years later, and they might be in a very different situation during, like, after four years, where a leasing company has a lot more options. And and in looking at maybe leasing as a whole, we we now obviously have Aircap kind of stands alone as a supersized lessor. Right. Yes. We have that kind of pocket, half dozen, maybe eight or nine IG lessors. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have everyone else, right? Yes. Do you think the importance of scale has increased since the outbreak of uh, COVID and how the sector has dealt with it? And, and what does that mean if you're not at scale? I think it's a very interesting point, and I really believe in scale. <laughs> because like I mentioned, you know, the one good example is Russia. There were some small lessors who had outsized concentrations. It's not always to Russia, but it happened to be that the ones who had concentration to Russia, they had trouble. Um, and you, you can only deal with that if you have scale, because you don't have to be concentrated in just one market or two markets. Um, you know, scale also gives them a lot of leverage with OEMs, gives them leverage with their airline relationships. Um, it, you know, scale also means more diversity in most cases, of course. So you're more global, you know, you have issues in one region, hopefully another region is not as bad, so you move aircraft one place to another. Um, I think that the importance of scale has also been proved during the crisis, and even the Russian uh, invasion is yet another, um, I think it, you know, it affirms that point. And, and shifting gears again and maybe looking at ESG with a particular focus on the E, um, when you are assessing airlines or lessors, how much focus are you putting on that element, right? So we're, we've seen an increased chatter, I'd say, in the sector around it. Um, you could argue not really followed through with action, but you might question what the action would be. Um, your thoughts over how that's feeding into your assessment, either on the lessor or airline side, mm -hmm. and what they're doing from an environmental perspective? Well, there are two things. One is from a credit perspective. The other thing is uh, what they're doing for the environment. <laughs> they're two very different things. Yeah. Um, from a credit perspective, you know, we're a credit rating agency, so we focus on credit. Uh, we're not making political statements about whether they're helping with the environment or not, but to the extent that the costs of running your business are going up and how that affects your credit, then that becomes very relevant for us. Um, but unlike other agencies, we haven't... Um, started scoring airlines uh, or even aircraft leasing companies for their ESG scores because we see that there's a lot of inconsistency in measurement and reporting and I don't think we don't think we're in a position to make that kind of call and score people but to the extent each name we know they're I'm just giving you an example let's say one name 
is really able to go to market and raise um, capital at lower rates than others because they're very, you know, they're perceived as, you know, doing all the right things for, um, you know, green bonds or whatever you yeah. want to call them. And whatever, you know, there are many different structures of these bonds that you can do. Um, and to the extent that you see real investor uptake in it, we haven't seen that. There's a lot of talk about it, but we haven't, when we talk to the uh, airlines and leasing companies, you don't see that investors are saying no to certain bonds that don't have any green um, aspects to them. It, it, will it happen? I think it will happen. I, would I think it would take some time. Um, because just globally, where everyone is focused on um, global warming. And in that respect, I think it's really important, and we will get there. Whether these 2050 um, targets are achievable, they can be achievable because you, some of the targets themselves, you can, uh, it's actually interesting, there's not a uniform definition of what that target is because the net zero carbon emission could be interpreted in different ways. Um, but there is definite move toward it. It's important. And I think it's going to happen. And to the extent that it will affect credit, we'll take it into account to ratings. We haven't changed any ratings because of it. But it could happen. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that, right? I don't think anyone's saying now it's costing the basis points. But yeah. the, it's where the narrative is going. And, yes. and I guess it's, it's, it's it's if and when it starts to close off your right. investor pool with the capital we have had, that hasn't been an issue, but, but I right. think you're right, it, it, it will come. Um, changing gear again in looking at the cargo market, um, mm. you know, a market that's always been spiky, but has seen uh, a step change post-COVID, right? Yeah. So driven by you know, factors related to the pandemic, driven by e-commerce, um, some would posit that this is a genuine uh, and sustainable change in cargo. What are your thoughts on that market? So there are two uh, uh, train of thoughts on that. One is that once the big passenger aircraft are going to start flying, that the belly of those aircraft are going to use more. Therefore, this huge um, you know, increase in cargo traffic is not going to be as, you know, just you know, specifically cargo traffic is not going to be as strong. You're going to see some difference, it's really true, but I also think that the, the trend in e-commerce is not going down. That trend is continuing, and as it's continuing at a very rapid pace, um, and it's, I feel like it's a lot more still in the more developed markets, but it's going to be like Asia, you know, they have their own e-commerce going on, and that's also going to be entering into the market. So I think, you know, to me, the cargo, um, I, you know, we're positive on cargo, actually. Uh, we're looking into it. In fact, now we may write a paper about it. Um, it's also a great market where you can, you know, reconfigure your older aircraft, um, especially as deliveries are very constrained because you can, you know, repurpose some wide body aircraft or even narrow body aircraft for, you know, more, you know, lighter volume, uh, but big volume uh, cargo, which is really e-commerce. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's conversion stock challenge right. now, isn't it? Yes. The but that, yeah, the, every, you know, anything that requires work is a challenge. So, but, you know, whatever the current stock is, is in big demand. <laughs> so. and, and just in closing, Marjan, as you look out over the next kind of 12 months, what are your hopes, maybe focusing on aviation finance, and what are your expectations for where that market goes? Uh, well, from a ratings perspective, my hope is that there are going to be more deals. Yeah. That's my hope. Amen. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I think it's really interesting that we don't focus on only one form of financing. I think diversifi diversification, of, diversification of forms of financing it's very interesting and I think it's important whether uh, before it was just banks, then the leasing companies came in, then there's ABS, then the unsecured market for lessors became a really big thing. But there are other ways, you know, today we heard about the insurance backed deals, not that they're gonna make up a huge part of the uh, financing, but one other um, source that is really important is the private credit market that um, has always taken a big interest in that market and I think that you're going to see a lot more of that too and those tend to be pretty interesting forms of financing not everything has to be public so well Omarjan I would like to thank you for your time and insights today and I wish you and KBRA the very best over the next 12 months thank you thank you <laughs>